when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I hope you're all doing well. I am heading into chemo number five this morning as this podcast drops. I only have one more after this one, and I am so looking forward to being done with chemo. Next is surgery and radiation, and thank you to all of you who continue to send me your wonderful messages of support and love. It means everything. You know what else? would really be helpful, you know, I'm going to say it, (laughs) is the reviews. Yes, I'm still working on my birthday wish. We have some time left, but not that much. My birthday is May 15th, and I want 100 reviews on Trial Guides and 100 reviews of the podcast. So if you've read the book, please go to trialguides.com and review the book there. If you are listening to this podcast and you love it, go ahead and give me a review. You don't even need to type anything out. You can just go ahead and... Uh, touch the star review and give us a star rating, although I love reading them. Let me read you our most recent review at Trial Guides. Um, I hope I haven't read this one uh, before, but let's see. It's from Nathan S. He says, as I read this book, as I read this book, I felt like it was written with me in mind. From early on in the book, Sari's words helped me realize that the number one thing getting in my way in trial was me. My fear of the loss, my fear of am I good enough for this, my fear of did I learn enough. This book helped me to work toward finding tools to recognize and acknowledge those fears, set them aside and get to work. Thank you, Sari. I know I have lots of work to do to learn all the things you discuss in this book, but you did such a great job teaching through these pages. Nathan, I love your review. Thank you so much. And I'd like to hear more from all of you. So please give us a review when you get a chance. We just closed the crew, by the way, yesterday at 9 p.m. And if you didn't make the crew, uh, we are going to open again in October. However, we may have a mini open in June. It's still yet to be decided. So go to fromhostagetohero.com, add yourself to the wait list. You guys, you want to get in the crew. It is just so much fun. And as you've heard me say before, I really believe there are four pieces to mastering a skill. You need live instruction, you need practice, you need feedback on that practice, and you need a community of support. The H2H crew gives you all of those things. Go to the H2H or from hostagehero.com and click on what is the H2H crew and you can learn more about it and add yourself to the wait list. All right, that brings us to today's episode, which is how to recover. I don't mean recover money. I don't mean recover after trial is over. I mean how to recover when you've made a mistake, been objected to, something happens in trial. And, you know, I went through all the podcast episodes to see if I had talked about this skill before. And I don't see that I have, although I I feel like I have. So maybe I've talked about it somewhere in an episode. And if so, I apologize. But this just came up in our live training this last month on permission. 
And I did a whole training around permission and the concept of permission. And at the very end, I talked about how to recover if you lose permission. And then everybody just lost their freaking minds. And so I thought, well, this is a skill that I already knew was a big one, but it reminded me about how much people love this particular skill. So I thought I would share it in a podcast podcast episode. Now, a caveat This is a skill that needs to be modeled. Those of you who are in the crew, you can go to the From Hostage to Hero course, and there is an entire video on this particular skill. It's called decontamination. I'm not sure what I've titled it. I should have gone and looked. And if you're not in the crew, make sure you get in because you have access to the whole From Hostage to Hero course on the back end, which is all video lessons of the skills in the book. But here's what you have to understand. The primary basis for this skill that I'm going to teach in today's podcast is the idea that location holds memory. Have you ever been in your living room and you stand up and you walk into the kitchen to go get something and you forget what you went in there to get? I know this is happening more and more to me as I get older, not to mention chemo brain, but what do you have to do? Well, you have to go back. Why? Because location holds memory. And so we can really use this to our benefit in trial when we are recovering from a mistake or a loss of permission. Now, what do I mean by permission? So if you haven't listened to the the podcast on permission, go back and and listen to that. But I think it's called We're Not Not After Trust. What we really need is permission. I can't remember the exact name of it. But basic gist is this. Permission is how receptive someone is to us or our message. And what we want from jurors is their permission. We want them to be receptive. Now, permission isn't the same thing as having their agreement or that we know that they're going to um, find for us in trial. It just means that they're receptive to us. And when I talk about permission, just to give you a little background of how this came up in in the um, seminar the other day. When I talk about permission, I talk about how permission is like a thermometer. It's like taking the temperature of the communication. When you have lots of permission, it, the room, the, the interaction, the, the, the back and forth feels very warm and inviting. But when you don't have permission, it feels cold and stunted. Think about this when you start voir dire, for example. It feels cold. It's hard to get people talking. Um, you don't have a lot of permission at that, at that point. Because A, you're a plaintiff attorney, but you're attorney altogether, which means you don't have a lot of permission. You're a plaintiff attorney to make things worse or criminal defense. And these people don't know who you are or what you're there to do. They assume that you're going to try to manipulate them and use gimmicks and all those things. So your permission is very low at the beginning. But as you continue to grow your permission, you may do or say something that has you lose it again. That's why I I talk about how permission is like a thermometer. It's not something that's constant. I mean, we hope that we continue to increase permission and keep it high, but we may uh, on accident do something where we lose permission. Likewise, we may be doing something in trial and we're objected to and we lose permission with the jury or we lose track or focus. Maybe we're in our opening statement and and we forget what we were going to say next. The, the question is, how do we recover from those situations? Losing track in opening, being objected to, or, um, or losing permission with the jury. And 
how you know you've lost permission with the jury is a totally other, another subject that I'm not going to cover in today's podcast episode. So we're going to use this idea that location has memory to help us. And to illustrate this point, I'm going to tell a story about how we use this in the school system. So as many of you know, or maybe you don't know, I started my work non-verbally in the school system. I was trained by a very well-known um, master of nonverbal communication, and he worked with school teachers on how to manage their classrooms nonverbally, meaning that teachers would often get into these verbal back and forths with, with students. And he had all of these great techniques of how to refocus his students without having to get into a big hubaboo with them and then get all attached and hooked into it and, and then escalate the situation. And now someone's going to the principal's office and so on and so forth. So that's where I started my career, is training teachers on how to manage their classroom non-verbally, how to get them to stay on task, go on task, so on and so forth. And so one of the skills that we taught was this skill of um, how to do group discipline. So for example, what teachers would do naturally is they would be teaching at the front of the room and let's say the classroom started to get pretty noisy. So they'd stop what they were doing and staying in the same location, they would just yell at the students. They'd say, hey, it's too loud in here. This needs to quiet down. That's five minutes off recess. And the, the students would just you know, be silent, suck in their breath and be like, oh my God, five minutes off recess. And then what would happen next is the important part. The teacher would then, staying in the same location, try to go back to teaching, but it wouldn't work. Why? Because the whole classroom was contaminated with this energy of we just lost something that we really care about and they couldn't get their minds back on teaching. And so the teachers were complaining, they're like, I don't know how to discipline my class without having this happen. Now you can think about contamination in a variety of ways. I use the example of when you've walked into a room and two people have had a fight and it, it, the fight's over, but the room, over the room just hangs this contamination energy, like something has just happened here. Or I also talk about where when you come home from work in the evening or particularly on the weekends, that you don't want to leave your work bag in the hallway where you see it every time you walk by throughout the weekend. Why? Because it's going to contaminate your weekend. It is a nonverbal reminder of work. Or you don't want to have all of your papers all over the dining room table or the kitchen table. Why? Because now you've contaminated what should be a family spot, not a work area. You want to contain your work to your home office, close the door when you're done so that you keep it clean. Why? Location holds memory. So what we taught the teachers in this instance, and this is going to have some very direct uh, implications for what we're teaching you today, is we said, when you discipline the group, you need to move locations. And so what we taught the teachers to do is when they heard the classroom, they're in the middle of their teaching and they heard the class, you know, getting loud and disobeying and doing all the things that normal classrooms of kids will do. We told the teacher, put down your pen or whatever you're using and walk to a different location and discipline from that location. Now that in itself is not the decontamination. What happens next is the decontamination. We then told teachers, when you're done 
disciplining from that spot, somewhere away from your teaching area. What we want you to do is to come back to the teaching area, but we want you to drop the eyes so you don't have eye contact with students and breathe as you move back and then pop back up as teacher. That's the decontamination piece. And we're going to talk about that in depth in just a minute. Now, we had teachers doing this. They never, ever told the students, listen, when I'm going to discipline you, I'm going to move over here. We just had them do it. And something amazing happened. After they did it one, maybe two times, they just had to start moving in the general direction of that discipline spot. And the class would calm down and quiet down on there. And they go, quiet, quiet, we're going to get in trouble. Why? Because that spot held memory. They knew that when the teacher went there, that that meant they were about to get into trouble. Great example of how to use location has memory. Now we're going to use it a little differently here because what we want to do is instead of creating a memory, we want to erase a memory. We want to erase an objection. We want to erase uh, the moment where we lost our train of thought in an opening. We want to erase the moment that we said something or stuck our foot in our mouth and lost permission with the jury. So we want to use, we're kind of, we're going to reverse engineer this. So here's what I want you to remember when it comes to decontaminating. So let's say that you've contaminated or someone has contaminated the jury. Again, an objection. I remember one time when I was in um, a mock jury situation and the attorney said something like, in this case, you're going to learn that the anesthesiologist molested the patient while under anesthesia. And one of the jurors just screamed out, oh my God. And completely contaminated the jury. In fact, the attorney kind of took a step backwards because it was so shocking to hear her yell out like that. That's a great example of a need to decontaminate. Why? Because now we're all contaminated by this shocking outburst from the juror. So whatever it may be, the point is, is that what you want to do is get the jury refocused. And so here's what you do. Three steps. When this happens, what I want you to do is break eye contact. The second piece is to move. Now, we're going to talk in a minute of those of you who cannot move, either because you're in a weird jurisdiction like North Carolina. I love my North Carolina lawyers. but You have to sit (laughs) or you're in federal court and you can't move. All right. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the, the normal way to decontaminate is to break eye contact to move out of the spot where it happened to somewhere else in the courtroom or in your presentation. Let's say you're giving a CLE. And the third thing is to breathe as you do it. So again, you are leaving the area, right? And you're leaving the, the lost permission, the objection, the, the, this is particularly great when you lose your train of thought, because As you are walking, you can be thinking and breathing and preparing yourself to have it pop back in your brain. And then when you get to your new location, you pop back up. But what I mean by that, I wish I was on video for this, meaning you just look back up like it never happened. Now, here's what most of you tend to do when you make a mistake or something happens is you tend to try to handle it verbally. So you go, oh, I'm so sorry. What was I going to say? Uh, give me a second. Let me, you know, same thing when, when let's say technology isn't working. Oh my goodness. Why is this happening? But there's a lot of verbal there, which continues to contaminate it. 
You have to physically remove yourself, remove the eye contact, and the breathing is the huge piece of how you decontaminate. It's like literally breathing new air into the space. That's how you decontaminate. Again, three steps. Break the eye contact. Now, I don't mean you hang your head down and walk away in shame. I just mean keep your face toward the juror, but drop the eyes like you like you're thinking of something. Walk and breathe. And if you go back to the teacher situation, what ended up not working for the teachers is if they would move over to the discipline spot, discipline the kids, and then they maintain eye contact, kept up that high breathing, and walked back into their teaching area. That just dragged all that negative energy back into their teaching spot. So that's why that breathing and that break in eye contact is really going to help you kind of shake it off, literally, non-verbally, and start again. Now, let's talk about what you can do if you cannot move. The point of moving is to physically get away from the area, right? And leave the negative energy there. But really what it is, is just a change in nonverbals. So the easiest way to change your nonverbals is to literally move, get into a different spot. But if you can't move, again, because you have to remain seated or you're in federal court and you can't move away from the lectern, what you can do is just change nonverbals. So if you take, if you wear glasses, maybe you take your glasses off, right? That's a change in nonverbals. If you um, have a PowerPoint on, you maybe turn it off. If you have a book open, maybe you close the book. If you're seated like in, in North Carolina, maybe you shift your weight over to the other side while breaking the eye contact. Remember, you got to still break the eye contact and still breathe. The point is what you need to do is have a change in nonverbals. That's what we're looking for is some kind of shift in your body, in your uh, mannerisms, in your eyeglasses, book, PowerPoint, maybe you have the clicker in your hand, you put the clicker down. Something that changes the energy, that signals to the jury, that was that, this is new. Again, with the broken eye contact and with the breathing. This, my friends, is the decontamination technique. And again, if you're in the crew, you can go and watch a video on this, which would be much more helpful than me trying to (laughs) describe it verbally. But hopefully I did an okay job today uh, describing it. And it's just a great way to kind of clean up anything messy and get yourself refocused and more importantly, get the jury refocused. So I hope that helps. Our H2H crew loved that skill when I taught it the other day. I hope you also feel the same. And that, my friends, is how you recover from a mistake, from an objection, from a memory slip. Hope it helps and get me those reviews. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.